Support comes from the Norton Simon Museum, presenting the film series Testigo Witness, Goya in the Movies. Held on select Fridays in May, each film touches upon artist Francisco de Goya's visions of the world, kicking off with Pan's Labyrinth by Guillermo del Toro on May 10th at NortonSimon.org. You have the chance to win a Spring Super Sweeps from Alleist. Donate $60 for one entry to win a brand new Lexus or $25,000 in cash. Check out all the other prizes, too, when you donate now at laist.com slash sweeps. Elias Studios. This is How to LA, the podcast from Elias Studios, where we try to explain this beautiful and complicated city. I'm your host, Brian De Los Santos. Pride Month is just around the corner, and you know this girlie is going to be out here celebrating. But as we get ready for the Kikis, aka festivities, I also want to take some time to look at the history of queerness in this city. Hollywood and McCadden was the spot, actually, of the first legally permitted gay pride parade. Like, how did West Hollywood become a mecca for gays in L.A.? Over decades, West Hollywood came to be, like, the place for gay culture and LGBT culture. But, you know, it wasn't just, like, a collective agreement to show up in this spot one day. It happened over time. Our L.A. Explained reporter, Kaylin Hernandez, is exploring this and more in their new series, Queer L.A. People in L.A. city limits would be really susceptible to rates, and it really pushed people to go more west. Queer Angelinos have so much joy here in this city, and this project aims to help them make the best out of it. And also for the history of, you know, LGBTQ culture. L.A., a lot of people don't realize, we've played a huge part in that nationally. Like one of the country's first pride parades in 1970, when being gay was still illegal, or when the police raided Black Cat in Silver Lake catapulted the queer rights movement. So today, Caitlin and I are hopping in the time machine. We're going to an old speakeasy called BBB Cellars. Okay, we're looking back 100 years to check out some of LA's early queer spaces. Before the apps, before Pride, before West Hollywood was even a city. This is the story of when the gays went west. The address is supposed to be 1651 Cosmo Street. But we're looking around over here, and it's um, a parking lot. So it's sadly I don't think here anymore. All right, Caitlin. So it's 1920. Prohibition is happening all around L.A. Most people know, like, alcohol was banned. But what other kinds of laws were L.A.'s, you know, queer, would-be club goers kind of facing at this time? Yeah, so during, you know, the 1920s, 1930s, not only was it illegal to, you know, have alcohol, sell alcohol and all that, it was also legal to, you know, be gay or even, you know, perform in drag. Those were legally prohibited. So we're in this parking lot with a dumpster and a bunch of cars in here. Why did you pick this as one of your first spots to explore as part of the LGBTQ history that we're exploring today? Um, you know, it's sad. This used to be the site of BBB Cellar, a speakeasy. There was another spot also down the street called Jimmy's Backyard, and they both essentially did the same thing. They were speakeasies in the time of Prohibition. 
1920s, 1930s, they would have what was called um, female and male impersonators, what we know as drag queens and kings today. They were inside LA city boundaries under the jurisdiction of LAPD. And so when we're talking about you know, space and how West Hollywood is shaped, this actually plays a big role because these speakeasies would get raided by the LAPD because keep in mind, it was not only one, illegal to be gay, it was also legal to dress in drag and perform in drag. For example, in 1930, if someone was convicted of masquerading, which was dressing in drag, beautiful term for that, that could be 10 days in jail. By 1933, which is right around the time of the Great Depression, you see that go up to where people were getting six months in jail or bigger fines, and it was truly, it was bad. Back in the 20s, one of the more popular performers, his name was Ray Bourbon. I think nowadays, you know, he may have been trans, but we didn't quite have that language in those days. So he was a drag performer, and he was probably one of the more prominent ones. I think nowadays when we think of drag, think of these kind of like exaggerated, you know, versions of femininity and masculinity. But for Ray, his performances were really centered in around the 1920s look, looking like a, you know, really classy woman and doing these beautiful songs that were pretty elaborate. Have you got a minute? Good. Well, just sit down and relax and let me tell you about my operation. (laughs) Oh, this is the real dirt. There's been a change in the gender, a big change in me. From R-A-Y, I've changed to R-A-E. So if anyone should ask you, just feel free to say, there's been a change in rain. His performances would draw a lot of people, including, you know, actors and actresses like Howard Hughes that would be spotted here to go see the show. BBB seller was actually part of the pansy craze. That's where you get the idea of like, oh, this is, you know, maybe someone who's, you know, dressing up and they're doing a performance. I get the idea. There's also lavender as a common term, you know, lavender ladies. If your mood was mauve, um, you know, these were these little like silent signals where you can get the idea that this is, you know, queer coded in some sense, essentially. Yussel said that he would make me chesty. Now I look a little too Mae Westy. We got down to cases, the wide open spaces, and he developed me in the damnedest places. Since Yussel gave me muscle in a hustle, I am a very different sort of man. (laughs) So to be honest here, I'm kind of gagged right now because back in 2023, I'm lucky that I'm able to go out and experience what I like, who I like however I want, really freely and openly in different areas of the city. But 90 years ago, this is the spot where a lot of these parties took place, a lot of where queer culture emerged from these places. It's a time before we had smartphones, the apps, Instagram, TikTok, even TV, really. So it must have felt like this place was popping and full of culture. The first time you're seeing People wearing dresses and makeup, the way that people dance, the way that people were partnered up with the same sex. And it's not like we're standing at a beautiful building with a beautiful plaque or a beautiful statue of folks uh, to remember them. We're literally near a dumpster. So it is it's it sucks to kind of see this history being erased. So Sort of like the history of the gay migration here in LA. We're moving west, right? We want to see the sign. Yeah, this way. We 
are in the middle at the heart of Hollywood, aka Hollywood and Highland, baby. A lot of tourists. We have someone playing the violin. We have street performers. We have tour guides, frutas, LA classic hot dogs. And because it's LA, people are also selling crystals on the street. I love that emphasis. Um, yeah, so it's actually a really important spot when you're talking about you know queer history in LA. Um, to be specific, Hollywood and McCadden, which is like a tiny like half block over to Little Side Street, was the spot actually of the first legally permitted gay pride parade. This was at a time when West Hollywood wasn't a city yet. It was in 1970 in June. The pride was organized by Christopher Street West Association, which still manages it today. And at the time, it was with a coalition of local leaders and some faith leaders even that you know got together and wanted to commemorate the Stonewall riots. This was like a year, year after that. And to be clear here, at that time, it was still illegal to be gay, right? In 1970, it was still considered illegal to be homosexual in California until 1976. So it was really a big deal to get this sanctioned because the LAPD was like, giving a permit to a parade like this is like giving a permit to robbers. This is still in an era where there were raids going on, where people in the queer community were being harassed and arrested. So in order to get a permit, the LAPD put requirements on that, saying you have to have a certain amount of people marching, you have to put up a bond for a million dollars in case people throw rocks. The ACLU got involved because those like extra parameters they were trying to put on the permit um, were really problematic and like way expensive to try to attain. So they ended up taking this case, this legal fight, all the way to the California Supreme Court. And basically they were like, you have to be able to give them a permit. And that's how the first Pride Parade got put on, legally. So we're not far away from WeHo, but we're not in the WeHo city limits. Eventually, the Pride Parade got moved to West Hollywood. How that kind of, how did it happen? Yeah, I think this goes to show the migration that's happened slowly over time, is even with, with the Pride Parade. You know, for a few years, it was in Hollywood proper. But in 1979, before West Hollywood became a city, the officials ended up moving it outside of city boundaries because of, you know, a lot of activists and organizers were facing harassment from the LAPD. In unincorporated areas, and this is still true today, usually under the purview of the Sheriff's Department. LAPD at that time was known as being remarkably tougher to deal with. So again, we see that, that push to go west. When the city finally was formalized, West Hollywood became a city in 1984. They had an LGBTQ majority council, and it was the foundation for what a queer space might look like. We're gonna go further west. What is this spot exactly? So we are what I believe is in front of the hub. In kind of the 60s, it was a bar in West Hollywood. Again, this is like before West Hollywood was a city, so it was known as Sherman, the town of Sherman. This is part of the whole area that was kind of off limits to the LEPD. So what some activists did is this guy named Steve Ginsburg in 1966 came to the hub and recruited some people he knew to form this organization called pride which was an acronym in those days for personal rights in defense and education a year later after pride was founded the black cat was raided which led to 
actually one of the first documented protests against police brutality for LGBTQ people. I think a lot of people point to Stonewall, but LA in the Black Cat in Silver Lake was actually probably one of the first. Pride was really instrumental in the following days after that raid at the Black Cat and getting people on the ground and protesting. And they were really attractive to younger people who felt kind of excluded or just not welcomed in some of these like older activist groups for LGBTQ people who were maybe wanting to take more conservative approach. I think this is the building. <laughs> we're running into buildings that are not open or don't exist the same way, obviously, right? So that's fun. But hey, queer history. When I think about my intersectional identity, I had to learn some things on my own. I really wasn't taught my Latino history in school, much less my queer history, because I wasn't even out. And so... I think if people aren't exposed to this type of history, whether it is a recognition of a, of a building, it is a plaque, it is a statue, these things go away. People move in, people leave, the history is kind of gone. So it's been nice to explore LA through this lens of queerness and moments of joy in history where people got together and they made their own thing because there wasn't any spaces for them at that moment. And yes, they might have been hiding from the cops. There's an ugly past with that. But I also know that because of those moments of the activism and advocacy back then, now we're able to go to places like West Hollywood and downtown and North Hollywood and be able to dance with our friends and our partners and our lovers and kind of fulfill our queer identities here in LA. Past, present, future. All right, folks, that's all the time we got for you today. Thanks so much to Kaylin Hernandez for sharing their reporting with us and touring us around LA's queer history. And if you want to learn more about the history or how maybe your identity intersects, you can find the reporting at elias.com slash queer LA. And keep refreshing that feed because we'll definitely be bringing Caitlin back to talk about more queer spaces throughout LA. This episode was produced by Evan Jacoby. Our other producers are Megan Botel and Victoria Alejandro. We'll be back tomorrow with a deep dive into LA's relationship with fast fashion. Make sure you're subscribed to the podcast so you can check that out too. And please, if you care about queer history or the city of LA, or if you love me at all, which I hope you do, leave us a review. We haven't had one since the beginning of this year, so please go do that right now. Seriously, y'all, we want to make the show you want to hear. Your responses help us get discovered and give us direction on how to shape the show. If you want to holler at me, you can also email us at howtola at scpr.org. Anyway, that's our show for today. See you mañana. Support for this podcast is made possible by Gordon and Donna Crawford, who believe that quality journalism makes Los Angeles a better place to live. The LAS Spring Super Sweeps is happening now. You can win amazing prizes while supporting your source for local fact-based journalism. 
one lucky grand prize winner will get to choose a brand new Lexus or $25,000 in cash. Other prizes include an electric bike from Juice Bikes and $1,000 gas gift cards. Your donation of $60 gets you one entry to win. And the more you give, the more entries you get. Donate now at Elias.com slash sweeps. Start your Saturday with something that will grow your kiddos' brains and get their creative juices flowing. Join us at LAS for a morning of multilingual story times, interactive performances, art making, and lots of kid fun. Bring the whole fam and join us for a super fun Saturday at LAS in Pasadena on June 1st. Tickets at LAS.com events. See you there.